1 Peter chapter 1, and I want to pick up where we left off last, verse number 3. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 3. The Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is one sentence in the Greek text. We're going to look at it this morning if the Lord permits. Father, speak through me. Be the words of my mouth, the faults of my mind. Manifest your grace by how you preach through me this morning. And I'll thank you and I'll praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. Well, for everyone in here this morning that's experienced the wondrous grace of God in salvation, how many of you agree today it's glorious? I mean the peace, the forgiveness, the wooing and drawing of God, the continuous work of God in your life. The experiential knowledge of his victory and his peace and his joy. I mean, salvation is glorious. I mean, here on earth, salvation is glorious. But I got some good news for you. The best is yet to come. And that's really what this text is talking about. I mean, this text goes back and deals with who were to pray on the basis of our salvation. But then the text reminds us that there's much more still ahead for us. You know, sometimes when I think of my salvation and what all God's done for me, I can't fathom how it's going to be better one day. I mean, but it is. And this, I hope, God will just root in your heart this morning. Let's look at this text together. If you remember, last time we started first Peter we looked at verse 2 in depth Sunday morning and Sunday night and we saw that God chose us we didn't choose him we saw that we are sanctified by the Spirit set apart as holy unto God by the Spirit of God and then we saw that that all was a work of God that you and I would be obedient unto him why because he has sprinkled us. He has cleansed us. He has purified us by his blood. And then Peter just launches out in an attitude of praise. Blessed be God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, listen, I don't know what was going on in Peter's heart when he wrote this, but I, will know, I do know this, that his mind and his heart was full of an exaltation to what God has done and what God is going to do. And it just shows in these verses that we're going to look at this morning. And so I want you to look first at the exaltation of the elect. You and I that have been saved by the grace of God 
Look what it says here. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. First thing you're going to see here is the catalyst of our hope. In other words, Peter's writing here and he said, listen, look what all God's done in verse 2. He said, only he deserves the adoration and only he deserves the praise. That's what the word blessed means here. In other words, he's to be adored, he's to be admired, and he, and he alone, is to be praised. And he says, blessed be the God. Now, we always are praying, God, will you bless us? I got news for you today. You read the Bible. God's blessed you all you're going to ever need. The day God saved you, he gave you everything you need to live the Christian life. He doesn't have to give you anything else. Now, I'm glad he still works on us. I'm glad he still provides and he's still sufficient for all of our needs. But folks, listen to me today. You read the admonition of Scripture. It says far more about us blessing him than him blessing us. And that simply means that we give our adoration, our praise, our all to him. And Peter just breaks loose and he says, listen, praise him, adore him. Why? Because he is God. But he's more than God. He's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now you say, why did he say that? Because isn't he our Father? Isn't he our Heavenly Father? Oh, he is. But here, Peter says, wait a minute, but he's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why did he use that vernacular and not say, hey, he's your Father? I'll tell you why. Because listen, you only and I can only say he's my Father because he was first the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you came to saving knowledge of Christ, you get in on who Christ is and you get in on what Christ has. And can I tell you, because he is the father of the Lord Jesus Christ and you're in Christ, he's your heavenly father. That's your oneness with Christ. Something David could never say about God. Something Moses could never say about God. Something Jeremiah could never say about God. But you and I, because of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can say, God, you are my Father. I mean, listen, Peter just breaks loose here. And he said, praise him, because he is God, but he is Father. So he's the catalyst of all of our hope. Listen to me, folks. If God didn't do what God did, you and I would have no hope. It all was a work of God. Therefore, all the praise goes to him and him alone. I want you to see second in this exaltation that Peter lays out here in verse 3. Not only the catalyst of our hope, but the cause of our hope. Look what he says. He says, blessed be God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy. Won't you see two things here? What was the cause of our hope? Well, God did something. You say, what did he do? Well, two things listed here. The first thing he did is he showed abundant mercy towards you and I. The compassionate work of God. Now listen to me. There's a big difference between mercy and grace. Mercy deals with your condition. 
How many of you agree that you and I, in our lostness, we were dead? We were sinful. We were wretched. We were enemies against God. And so God took His mercy, an abundant mercy, overflowing mercy, and what did He do? He manifested towards you and I who were wretched, sinful, dead, enemies against God. You see, the cause of your hope is because God would show mercy to wretched men and women like you and me. See, mercy has to do with your condition. Grace has to do with your need. Because in our condition, how many of you agree, our need is to be reconciled to a holy God. And so mercy is what God manifested in the condition that we are in. But yet grace deals with the guilt, the condemnation in which we were under. And so God had to manifest his mercy, and then on the road of mercy, God manifested his grace. One Bible scholar said it this way, divine mercy takes the sinner from misery to glory, a change of condition. And then he went on to say, and divine grace takes him from guilt to acquittal, a change of position. I want to tell you something. Mercy, mercy, listen, dealt with you and me and who we are before a holy God. But grace changed everything. Grace took us from enemies to being friends with God. Grace took us from being aliens to being at home with God. Grace took us from being dead to being alive with God. I want to tell you something, folks. God did it and praised Him for it. God said, He is the catalyst of everything. And He's the cause. Of everything. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. But God, this is, remember Ephesians 2 1, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But Ephesians 2 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherein he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done. But according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Not by works which we have done. Can I tell you today, a lot of people are still trying to base their salvation on what they're doing. Can I tell you today, in all the love I have in me, you can never miss a church service for 15 years consecutive. You can be the biggest giver in the whole state of North Carolina. You could have held every position in every church that could ever be created and still never experience the mercy of God. The cause of our hope, his compassionate work, but his converting work. 
It says, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us. Well, I want to tell you, that word begotten is a great word. Now, I'm going to tell you, I, I'm just going to be, can I be transparent with y'all say amen? amen? I had to do some digging here. You say, why? It was one of the most complicated words I've ever tried to in interpret. You say, why? Because it takes the root of two words, two Greek words, and puts them together. And when you put them together, guess what the two Greek words are? The two Greek words separately are found in John 3 with the conversation with Nicodemus. And he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And so here's what Peter said. Peter takes those two Greek words, puts them together, and said, God has begotten you. And it's in, listen, it's in a tense means God's already done it. I mean, listen, he's writing to the saved here, and he says, God has already begotten you. In other words, God has already born you again. Doesn't speak of renovation. Doesn't speak of reformation. Doesn't speak of making you better. No, it speaks of regeneration. Making you anew. You see the cause of our hope. It's his compassionate work, but yet his converting work. But I want you to see a word here. Hath begotten us again. Say, why in the world would he use the word again? I thought God only saved us once. He does. Because see, what Peter's talking about here is not your physical birth, but your spiritual birth. In other words, you are, how many agree today? If you're breathing air today, it's because of God. God is the creator. Y'all do know that. Say amen. So in other words, you were born physically. But God had to birth you anew. God had to birth you again. And so in other words, what Peter's saying here, blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Oh, he manifested his abundant mercy and he begot me again. He, he overrode my physical birth, gave me a spiritual birth, and now I'm born all new. Can I put it to you another way? I'm not who I used to be. Isn't that what baptism is? Isn't that what it's a symbol is? This is who I was before God saved me. Buried, died with Christ, rose again in newness of life. Listen, this is who I was, but I'm not him anymore. And if you're him anymore, you never got begotten. The catalyst of our hope, the cause of our hope, the confidence in our hope. Look what he says here in verse 3. Begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What does this word lively hope mean? A living hope. Listen to me just a minute. What is hope? Well, can I tell you hope? will literally permeate every fiber of who you are. Because hope is contentment. Hope is 
peace. Hope is confidence. Hope is assurance. Hope is a no-so salvation. And it'll begin to affect how you think. It'll begin to affect how you feel. It'll begin to affect how you respond, how you react. If you know your hope, it will change every fiber of everything you are. And notice what it says here. Oh, look at the glory of this. He says, he begotten us un again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How many of you agree today? Listen to me. The only reason we know we have hope Absent from the body to be present with the Lord. How many agree today? We have hope that if the rapture happens today, every born-again believer that's breathed their last breath are going to get up out of that grave. Yeah. How many of you agree today? We have hope that when we get to glory, that we're going to be in sinless perfect perfection. John, 1 John chapter 2 says we will become like Christ is. In other words, there'll be no more flesh. There'll be no more sin. There'll be no more struggling. There'll be no more battling. How many agree we'll be perfected in Christ Jesus? But can I tell you today, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, none of that would have been possible. No wonder Peter's having a spell. You say, well, preacher, maybe it's you having a spell. I have a feeling Peter did too. No wonder Paul could say, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. How could you ever say to die is gain if you had no hope? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Wherefore, remember that you being in times past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time, who you used to be, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope. Why? Without God in this world. You want to know what no hope is? Being without God in this world. You want to know what hope is? Having God in this world. The confidence in our hope. Let me show you one more thing in this exaltation of the elect. The continuing of our hope. This phrase he uses here, begotten again unto a lively hope. It's present active, and you say, preacher, there's those terms again. What does that mean? It means it's ongoing, it's a lifestyle, it never, ever stops. Listen to me, people. When God saved you, the peace that you encountered the day God saved you was the hope that God put in you of knowing you've been reconciled to God. And that hope never, ever, ever ends. I don't care what you go through. 
I don't care what you got to go through. I don't care what you have gone through. That hope never ends. It is a lively hope. It's not just a hope that is alive. It's a hope that keeps living. And it never goes away. Well, we've seen the exaltation of the elect. Notice the expectation of the elect. So it says, we've been gotten unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled. In other words, you connect verse 4 to verse 3. So in other words, he is now expounding upon this term lively hope. He said he has begotten us unto a lively hope that never goes away. And he's begotten us unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus so that we may brought to an inheritance. In other words, verse 3 is the cause. Verse 4 is the effect. Verse 3 is the how. Verse 4 is the what. And so what he deals with here is the expectation. The first thing he deals with here is a promised inheritance. Now look at the word he uses here. When you see the word inheritance, think of it from an earthly perspective for just a moment. In other words, if, somebody, if, you're, if your parent or your grandparent walks up to you and says, I've done my will... And my will has left an inheritance for you. How many of you agree today, unless that will has changed, that is a promise? A legal binding promise. Do you all agree with that? Say amen. All right, now. But how many of you agree today that the inheritance only becomes from principle to reality upon death? Am I right? Say amen. So in other words, they can write a will leaving you in their inheritance. But if there's no death, you'll never experience that inheritance. See, some people are living for their inheritance and the rapture's going to happen and they're not going to enjoy it anyway. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 16 and 17 says this very thing. For where a testament is, an inheritance, a will, there must also be the necessity of death of the tester. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the tester liveth. So you say, preacher, Jesus is alive. How can I have an inheritance? Some of y'all are sitting there going, good question. Oh, it's very simple. There's two deaths that took place for this inheritance to be reality to you. You say two deaths, what do you mean? How many agree Jesus is alive, but he died first? How many of you agree that you're alive? But if you're saved, you died. So in other words, who you used to be is dead. Who you are on this side of salvation is alive. So guess what? 
who you used to be don't get in on the inheritance. But because you died, who you are now gets in on what death brought. Are y'all hearing me say amen? I'm telling you, folks. I mean, this is, this is amazing things here. And so he lays this out here. Now, this word inheritance was also used in the Old Testament. It, it, if you use the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, it's all that is. The word is the same word used for the lots that, that was cast upon the tribes of Israel when God divided the land of Canaan unto the tribes of Israel. Each tribe of Israel had a lot, had an inheritance, had a, a portion of the land of Canaan that God said is yours. And it's the same word used here. I got news for you. Canaan is glorious because Canaan is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And can I tell you today, if you're saved, you already have your inheritance. But the perfection of what you have will come when you get to glory. You don't have to get to glory to enjoy your inheritance. You already have it. You say, well, what is it? It's a person. Jesus Christ is your inheritance. Now, you and I get to enjoy the person of Christ here. Aren't you glad for that? How many of y'all had fellowship with him today? But aren't you glad when you get to glory? No more flesh, no more sin, no more struggle. Now, in absolute perfection, face to face, you'll get to enjoy the inheritance that God gave you when he saved you. Say this. (laughs) It's what's to come. So you see, it's a personal inheritance, promised inheritance. But it's a pure inheritance, incorruptible, which means imperishable, that which cannot ever be subject to destruction. Undefiled, what does that mean? It is that which is unstained and unpolluted. In other words, this inheritance that you've already received and that you're going to enjoy in its fullness when you get to glory is a inheritance now listen to me that can never ever be destroyed and can never ever be taken away from you you see if you could lose your salvation your inheritance could not be said to be imperishable. But it's a permanent inheritance that fades not away. I got some good news for every saved person here today. Your inheritance It's safe and secure. The word fade here has the idea of a flower that loses its petals and loses its blossom. But the inheritance you have will never lose its beauty or its glory. You say, preacher, why? Because it's a person. It's not a thing. 
And the last time I checked, the person who is our inheritance, Jesus Christ, is eternal. So the only way your inheritance could fade away is Jesus would have to be from eternal to mortal. And that'll never happen. But there's another thing. This inheritance is not only a promised inheritance, a pure inheritance, and a permanent inheritance. It's a personal inheritance. Faith is not a way reserved in heaven. Notice what he says. Not for us. Plural. Is every child of God got an inheritance? But notice how Peter reads it, words it here. For you. Singular. You say, preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying if you're saved today, reserved in heaven, is a personal, individual, inheritance. For you and you only. And you say, well, wait a minute, preacher, you said the inheritance is Christ. It is. But how many agree when we get to heaven personally, individually, we'll experience Christ? For you. Well, lastly, this morning, let me look at the excitement of the elect. Look at verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God through faith. <laughs> Goodness. The rest of the saved. What's this word kept mean? It means to shield or to guard. The interlinear, which is the taking the Greek and, and placing it in the same order that the Greeks placed, translated it in English, here's the way it reads. Who through faith are shielded by God's power. What does that mean? That means if you're saved today, nothing and no one can touch you. The idea of the word is in the biblical times when they would go into battle. They would go into battle against the arrows and the rocks of the enemy. And their only protection would be a shield that they would place in front of them. And they would go into battle face to face with the enemy with the shield in front advancing against the enemy. Every arrow, every rock would be deflected by the shield. But how many of you agree the shield in battle was not perfect. 
How many agree? The shield could be too low and an arrow hit high. The shield could be too high and an arrow would hit low. Aren't you glad today that you're not protected by a shield that you control? Aren't you glad that you're protected by the shield that God in his mighty, awesome power who spoke and creation came into existence, out of nothing came something. And it is God himself who is your shield. That's rest. That's assurance. But notice something he tags on here. He said, who are kept by the power of God through faith. Now, here's where a lot of people say, well, here's the rub. Here's where people can lose their salvation because if they don't walk by faith, they can lose their salvation. All right, listen to me. The word here, kept, is in a tense means it's already an accomplished fact and the effects of that fact are ongoing. In other words, nothing can alter it. Nothing can change it. So it's not that your faith keeps you in being kept. It's your faith allows you to walk in the rest and the peace that you are being kept. See, you know, the sad part, a lot of people don't even know they're being kept. A lot of people don't know God's their guard, God's their shield. I had a lady that used to work for me when I had a framing business. And she worked for me and she believed in, she lit, went to a church that believed you could lose your salvation. And I walked up, she came in the office one day and, and boy, she was just livid. She had worked during the day, she worked on second shift with me. She worked during the day uh, in, a, in a pharmacy and she came in late that afternoon after she got off from the pharmacy and she walked in and she said, Back, just pray for me. I'm so mad. And she began to rant and rave about this person that she worked with at the pharmacy and what that person said to her and what that person did to her. And she was going on and on and on and on and on. I waited about 10 minutes. She calmed down. She was at her workstation working, putting frames together. I walked up behind her without her looking, and I went, pow! She jumped about five feet. She said, preacher, why'd you do that? I said, well, i just wondering if that would have been the rapture, would you have lost it? She said, no. I said, well, how many sins does it take? She said, preacher, you're mean. I said, no, I'm just trying to help you. She went to Israel with me one year. We were on the bus going to the Sea of Galilee, going to have baptism with the Sea of Galilee. She walked up to me just as meek and mild as she could. Just, it's almost like she had tears in her eyes, and she said, she said, Brother Mac, she said, would you please baptize me in the Jordan? I said, Sheila, I'll be glad to do that. I said, how many times? <laughs> she said, what do you mean? I said, well, I didn't know if you lost it and got it, lost it, got it, lost it, got it. <laughs> Aren't you glad that it's not up on you holding the shield, but God is the shield? Amen. It's not only your assurance. But I got news for you. It is by faith that you get to walk in that kind of peace. Well, lastly, not only the rest of the saved, but the revealing of the saved. 
who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You say, what do you mean unto salvation? I'm already saved. Oh, listen. Your salvation just begun the day you got saved. You were saved from self and sin the day God saved you. God's still trying to save you from, your, from the flesh. It's called sanctification. But I'm glad one day God's going to perfect what he started the day he saved me. It's called glorification. Now watch this. The word revealed means to take away the veil or the cover. Our salvation, which is now, we enjoy in principle, shall be our full possession when we get for glory. Think about it. All that you know now about your glorious salvation. I asked you at the beginning, is it glorious? But can I tell you, when you breathe your last breath and you get to glory and you go through the fires of the Bema seat of Christ and are perfected, your dead works are burnt off and those things that remain are the silver, gold, and precious stones. Can I tell you what's going to happen? It's going to be like God taking a veil and jerking it off. And the, for the first time, as much as you thought you knew about your salvation, for the first time, you're going to see your salvation in its perfection. For the first time, you're going to see your salvation without sin. For the first time, you're going to see your salvation without struggle. For the first time, you're going to see your salvation without flesh. From the first time, you're going to see your salvation without Satan, without trials, without temptations. You're going to see your salvation in the glorious person of the Lord Jesus who you become like when you get to glory. And can I tell you something? It's going to be a sight to see. That's what's ahead of you. There's two struggles I see in the church in America. The first one is this. We have no idea what we already have in Christ. And therefore we enjoy very little of it. Second struggle is this. We have no idea what's ahead of us in our hope. And therefore, we let trials dismantle us. You say, preacher, you don't do that? I did it this week. But I'm glad God is enough. Do you have a hope? Do you have a settled peace in your heart?
that all is well with your soul. Sing it. It is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. Did any of you just have to lie? Or could you sing it with absolute assurance? You stand, you obey God. Father, I thank you and I praise you for your amazing work that saved a wretch like me, that saved a wretch like us. Thank you that you took one that had no hope and gave him hope. Had no peace and gave him peace. Had no life and gave him life had no power and gave him your power. Father, thank you. Father, I don't know what you've stirred up in some folks here tonight, this morning, but Father, I pray. It may be there's some folks in here this morning that just, just maybe need to come and get on an old-fashioned altar and say, Father, I've just not praised you for who you really are and what you've done for me. I've let life get in the way and I've just cluttered out in my heart the exaltation, blessed be you, God, the Father of my Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there may be there folks in here this morning that just need to come and confess that there's not been the praise and the adoration in their heart. Father, maybe there's some folks in here today. They know because you're showing them. They have a pretending hope, but not a real hope. They have a hope that's based upon what they're doing or what they have done, but they don't have a hope based upon the absolute experiential knowledge of what you've done. And you're saying today, I'll give you what you've never had. Hope. Life. Peace. Forgiveness. You'll just say yes to me and no to yourself. Father, maybe there's folks in here that they know this is the place you would have them to be. If that's the case, I pray that they'd obey you this morning. And Father, maybe there's other things that's going on that you're dealing with and people just need to obey you. But whatever you do this morning, to you be the glory for what you do and how you do it. In Jesus' holy, precious, and mighty name, and all God's children said,